Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our Father, draw us into the depths of where your Son is. Give us a profound sense of your love for us, the sacrifice you made on our behalf, the gift that is to fill our hearts and make us new. We ask this even now as we open your word and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is, is attending the fall festival in Jerusalem, this church camp. And families are down there to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Fun, fun time. And um, Jesus didn't want to go, but then he had second thoughts and he went anyway. And he absolutely he rocks the place. He says things that people can't believe that he's saying. And what he's saying is so unexpected, so out of bounds, especially during a, a festival time. So out of bounds that on the one hand, people think that he is absolutely phenomenal. And on the other hand, the denominational authorities at the temple want to kill him. He's such a threat. And there is no responding to Jesus in a, a manner that is sort of a, a lukewarm response. The response is going to be hot or cold as Jesus, the reality of who he is, becomes evident. I'm looking at the eighth chapter of John, and he goes to the ultimate lengths. And revealing himself and absolutely stuns the people. Here the word of God as it comes to us from the ninth chapter, pardon me, the eighth chapter of John. The religious authorities were saying, Our father is Abraham, they declared. Jesus replied, No. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. Now you're imitating your real father. They replied, we are the legitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am, what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do evil things that he does. He's a, he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truly, truthfully accuse me of sin? Since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you're a Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? Jesus said, no, I have no demon in me. For I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died. And so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I want to glorify myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be a great liar as you. But I do know him, and I obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And the people cried back, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them in the temple. This follows a series of declarations that Jesus makes. He's in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles in which they're celebrating the wilderness wandering. The tabernacles represented the tents that they lived in. And and Jesus, in the midst of all of this time, calls himself the bread of life. And he's the bread of life. So he likens himself to the manna that the people received in the wilderness. He also declares that he is the living water. Likewise, associating himself with the water that came out of rocks when Moses struck those rocks with the staff. So he's the bread. He's the water. And just before this passage that I read, he was standing in the temple where they have huge lamps lit up with oil that brighten the whole city. And these huge lamps were part of the celebration that recalled the the pillar of fire by day and smoke, pardon me, smoke by day and fire by night, the pillar of God that led them through the wilderness. Standing amidst those great lights, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Once again, associating, associating himself 
with God. And then this discussion goes back and forth with the religious leadership and Jesus. Most people are standing around watching and listening. They, they're, they're stunned. They kind of get it, but they may not understand fully what's going on, but they, they see this, this harsh back and forth between them. And one of the things that is a little bit troubling about this passage is, is that Jesus is tough. He's a tough argue. He, he, he can wage a really tough argument. He doesn't back off. He doesn't cave because... He's got the truth, and he's doing everything he can to get the truth through, and they don't hear it, and they, they instead see him as a threat, and therefore this argument is really about their power versus the threat that they experience from this person, Jesus, because they know people love him. Somehow in the midst of all of this, what Jesus is saying represents a deep truth that identifies with their hearts. But somehow what he is saying resonates at a deep level. And the religious types, well, for years, centuries, they've just sort of tolerated their stuff. But to get in trouble because they do something on a, on a Saturday, to have them policing their life, that just to make sure that they don't do something that gets them mad. And they also, likewise, are in collaboration with Rome, and so they've got all the wealth and power, and then they're telling the regular people what to do. This just didn't go over well with the people. But they didn't, they also didn't really get it when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot enter into the kingdom. It's hard. What do, they, what do they do with that? But somehow, somehow it struck so many of them as if there's a deep reality here. There's a deep truth about this. So they didn't know quite what to make of this. And the best argument that the religious authorities could come up with was... Well, we are children of Abraham. We are the true sons of Abraham. In other words, they're coming in with their entitlement argument. It's sort of, uh, I mean, as if because we're a part of a group, because we have a group identity, we have an entitlement. We deserve something. Why? Because we're a part of that group. We're part of the people of Abraham. And Jesus doesn't look at people according to their group identities. He shatters that whole idea. He says, if you were children of Abraham, you wouldn't do what Abraham does. Abraham obeys God. You don't obey God. The point is, you personally, individually, one at a time, your group identity is not what matters. It matters is your personal faith. And you personally, individually, believing in God and doing what God instructs, living as God directs you to live. 
Jesus bores in. He gets, he gets in deeper and deeper. And he gets them more and more angry. And out comes the demon language. You're a devil. We know you've got a demon. Why? Because you said what you said. You said those things about us. What do you mean that we're not children of Abraham? What do you mean that we're not entitled because we're a part of that group? What do you mean by this? So it's tense. Then Jesus really throws down the gauntlet. The language here is odd. It's language that we wouldn't expect. Jesus says, Abraham was looking forward to the day when I would come. And they scoff. You're not even, you're not even 50 years old. And you know Abraham. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, what's odd about the language is we would think that he would say, before Abraham was, I was. If he's going to make a declaration of pre-existence, which is really good math, all by itself, he would say, before Abraham was, I was. And they'd say, oh, yeah. Let's, let's, let's wrap him up. Let's haul him away. Let's put him in a loony bin someplace. But instead, what Jesus does, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And these are all Jews. And they're all speaking in Hebrew. And so what Jesus said was, before Abraham was, Yahweh. He applied to himself the holy, inexpressible name of God, that we see in the scriptures as YHWH. We add vowel points to, to make it Yahweh. But to this day, the Jews won't use that phrase. They won't express the name of God in that way. They will insert the name, uh, or the words, the Lord or my Lord. In fact, the word Jehovah comes from YHWH, those Hebrew letters, with the vowel points from my Lord, which is Adonai, and so we get Jehovah. It's a, it's a made-up way of trying to get around the holy name of God. But Jesus takes this name of God that they were not to express, and to this day they are not to express it. We who are all of us children of Abraham are not to express the name of God in that way. But Jesus does it in the temple, right before all the religious authorities. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Remember the story of the burning bush. Moses meets God in the burning bush. And he asks Moses, Moses asks God, whom shall I say has sent me? And God said, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. 
Jesus is here saying that he is God. That he is God. And they go for stones to throw him out, and he gets away. Make no mistake, the claims of Jesus Christ are that deep, that powerful, and that radical. He claims to be the very reality of God, the very presence of God with us. We do it at Christmas time. We see Emmanuel and we think it's all wonderful and we sing in our hymns, but it means God with us. Jesus is saying that is not just talk, that's not just nice mythology. This is a reality that is associated with his actual historical presence. That Jesus, whom they knew as a human being, was the pre-existent Son of God. And it is from the Gospel of John that the doc doctrine of Trinity is, is developed. Primarily this, this Gospel more than any other place. The doctrine of Trinity which says that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. And do I understand it? No. But if I did understand it, it probably wouldn't be God. It only makes sense that a human mind could not wrap itself around the reality of who God is. And they couldn't understand the reality of who Jesus was. And so, they were so strong in their hatred. They were going to eliminate him. We're going to kill him. We're going to have his way. So this faith that we proclaim doesn't stand amongst the pantheon of, of, of faiths in the world. It stands unique. It is not like other faiths. It is absolutely, completely different. It's an historical person, a person who is real, who made this radical claim. And then that radical claim was vindicated by God at the resurrection. And it's, it's such a huge reality that we want to domesticate. We would rather say that Jesus was just he was a good moral teacher. He was just a really good person. But God, I, I, I can't go that far. C.S. Lewis. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said such, said the sort of things Jesus said would be, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that option open to us. So this is the, the radical reality of Christianity at its core. I say Christianity, but I Christianity is sort of a, a large thing with all of the stuff around it that is our doctrines and robes and all this kind of thing. That's, that's kind of the religious part of it. Getting back behind all the religion stuff, we come down to the core, which is faith. Faith in a concrete historical reality. For the Jews, it was the crossing of the Red Sea that they hearkened back to time and again about to demonstrate the faithfulness of God. That same faithfulness is demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ in his claim to be one with the Father and that his identity is fully vindicated on the cross and at the grave. So that is our choice. And that is not necessarily the choice we make. Because we can't make ourselves believe. Things happen to us. And suddenly we find ourselves with faith coming in upon us. Faith breaks into our experience. We thought we had figured this stuff out intellectually, but we never do. We can't. The mind can't wrap itself around the reality of God. And so God in his love has to wrap his arms around each one of us, personally, individually, one at a time, and give us a new identity in him. It was wonderful the other night at the St. Matthew's House graduation. The stories, one after another, of these mostly young men and women they did the before and after pictures where they were, they had mug shots and were all strung out. And then maybe a year, year and a half or two years later, their new identity in Christ. And yeah, they were cleaned up. They may still have the, the beard or the, uh, the crazy hair, the tattoos or whatever, but they also have a smile because they have a new identity. An identity that was secured for them by the fullness of the identity of who Christ is. And that is why he came. That we might be new with him. You bow with me in prayer. And Lord, when we hear such things, we've come away with more questions and answers. And we come away realizing our questions have no answers. And therefore, we ask that you would give us the faith. 
accept and to be redefined by your love, by your embrace, and by the future that you have set aside for us. We ask this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.